Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Aries. Welcome to episode 308. I am chatting today with a very exciting guest, Stephanie Shriak, who is the president of Emily's List and the author of an awesome new book, Run to Win. Today, we're talking specifically about how women can rise as leaders in every industry. Obviously, politics will be discussed at length but also in all kinds of business and nonprofit and other industries in male-dominated spaces and why the world needs more women's voices uh, weighing in and providing equality just through equal representation of the genders in leadership. Now, I personally feel strongly that there are a ton of Uh, different lessons to be learned from the world of campaigns and elections that can be applied to business. That's, after all, why I started my career as a political organizer, advocate, digital strategist, and campaign, frankly, junkie who loves uh, still to this day being an activist in my own way uh, in my personal life, and then parlayed that into self-advocacy as a business model. Here at Boss Up, we help women advocate for radical progress in their own careers, lives, and communities. So if you have been even just barely toying with the idea of running for office, or if you find yourself trying to throw your hat in the ring at work to get that new promotion, to level up into a leadership position, which is, after all, what our Level Up Leadership Accelerator is all about, you do not want to miss today's conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about Stephanie first. Raised in the copper mining town of Butte, Montana, Stephanie Shriak has been working to get Democrats elected for 25 years. Since Shriak became the president of Emily's List in 2010, she's overseen a decade of phenomenal growth in the organization, raising hundreds of millions of dollars helping elect record numbers of women to the House and Senate, and recruiting and training hundreds more, honestly, tens of thousands more. Emily's List is now nearly 5 million members strong. Stephanie co-authored her new book, Run to Win, with Christina Reynolds, who's currently the vice president of communications for Emily's List. And Run to Win is really a playbook for women changing the world in politics, business, or any arena. I'm so excited for y'all to sink your teeth into this discussion, and I hope it inspires many, many, many of us to consider throwing our hat in the ring, whether that means running for office on a local level, on a national level, or putting yourself forward for a promotion or a leadership position at work. So here to tell us all about how that is done is Stephanie Shriak. Stephanie, welcome to the Boss Up Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I have to share with my listeners right now that I have the great privilege of interviewing you in 
one of the most historic weeks that I am delighted to have lived through, unlike all the other historic things we've lived through in the past year. Uh, Inauguration week, how do you feel seeing, especially seeing Kamala Harris as our new Madam Vice President? I mean, what, what a moment, right? I just... You know, every time I thought about it going into the inauguration, I'd get goosebumps. And mm. then seeing her, seeing Kamala take the oath to become the first woman vice president, the first African-American vice president, the first Asian-American vice president. I mean, it's just all, all the first. And to see this beautiful multiracial couple walking down uh, to you know, to that podium, mm. what, what a statement for the wonderful diversity of our nation. And I'm just so thrilled that President Biden has a just awesome, awesome partner <laughs> in a vice president. I love saying it a lot. Vice President Harris. <laughs> yes, I am so amazed. I feel like you know, your work uh, at Emily's List, you are just seeped in women in politics and women leaders all day, every day. I feel like I eat women's leadership for breakfast every day. So I have to ask you, like, what it meant to you to feel that that glass ceiling start to shatter a little bit more in the White House. Right. It's like, OK, one down, one to go. <laughs> yeah. Here we come. Uh, and and it's, you know, I you know, a lot of what I thought about this week are just the many, many shoulders we all as women stand upon to do what we're doing today. And I, you know, you know, heard Congresswoman Barbara Lee from California, uh, as well as uh, Vice President Harris and others talking about Shirley Chisholm and what she did uh, in being the, the first black woman to run for president uh, uh, though unsuccessfully, to inspire so many women and Black women to get engaged. I thought about, you know, even the founder of Emily's List, Ellen Malcolm, who started Emily's List with her girlfriends, basically, uh, sitting together at her house because they were so mad about how poorly managed Geraldine Ferraro's candidacy for vice president uh, in 1984 was handled and they wanted to change this dynamic. And so in this sort of circular way, it was the the loss of Geraldine Ferraro's uh, race, uh, which, as, as many know, I, I hope that she was the first woman on a presidential ticket as the vice presidential nominee for Walter Mondale, again, way back in 1984. But we've had so few. I mean, and then to watch uh, Kamala Harris break through finally, uh, it's, it's really something. And it's not easy. This work is intentional. And it is hard. And Emily's List and so many other women from all aspects of society are going to keep on pushing because we're just really getting started. I love it. So tell us a little bit about what you do at Emily's List and how you found your way uh, as a a long-term campaigner, uh, having bounced around from a lot of different races and a lot of different parts of this country uh, to taking the helm at Emily's List. Yeah, it's it's wild. I think like this Montana kid. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in in Butte, Montana, and and realizing, my gosh, I'm running 
the nation's largest organization in support of women running for office. Like sometimes you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> right, right. And and for me, uh, I was I was always really interested in politics. I was that kid, by the way. I'm just going to be honest. Like mm-hmm. ran for all the class president roles, though I lost most of them. <laughs> uh, I always volunteered for all of the clubs. I sold a lot of Girl Scout cookies. I love Girl Scouts. Uh, I love student government. I just wanted to be engaged uh, and make change. Though my parents weren't all that political, they definitely instilled a set of values of community service in me early, early on. So I was always the staffer, as you, as you pointed Mm. out, I was the finance director. I was the campaign manager. I was the person behind uh, the candidate who is on the stage. And I will be honest when the, when the call came about Emily's list, I just finished, uh, as the campaign manager for Al Franken's first race uh, in Minnesota, that was the one that had the recount and Mm. took a long time. Uh, I just finished that race. I'd gotten back to my role as chief of staff for Senator John Tester, a dear, dear, dear friend of mine from Montana, and was thinking about, you know, getting him up and running for his reelection, which was coming up. And I got this call about Emily's list and Ellen Malcolm, the great, Ellen Malcolm was stepping down after 25 years and they were looking for a president. And I was like, Oh, so you're looking for names. I mean, <laughs> right. I totally Who, did it. Like, I, I totally did that. I, yeah. and they're like, well, what about you? I was like, Oh, no way. No, 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 no. I can't do it. That's crazy. I, I don't have all this because I did all the things you're not supposed to do. Women I did all the things I was looked at the job description and, had like 70%. So therefore I couldn't do it. And it took me months to finally say, just try and don't. And, and the one thing I've learned along the way is don't say no to a job that hasn't been officially offered yet. Yes. Like, I tell like, that to what? my job seeker ah, clients yes. all the time. This is not your decision to stress about yet. Correct. Yeah. And so that's when I jumped in and then I realized, Oh, now I, when I got the job, uh, what a blessing to follow Ellen Malcolm and a curse. And- I was going to say some big <laughs> shoes to fill after, you know, replacing a founder is no easy feat. Oh my gosh. And here's the other lesson of this. Uh, you cannot replace w- people like that. You you can't fill those shoes. So go buy a new pair. Yeah. I love Do that. it your own way. You know, break the rules, break out of the box. I talk about that in the in the book Run to Win. Is the you you got to do it different, and that's why it's so important for more and more women and women of color to step up in leadership roles because they bring whole new perspectives and ways to get things done. Because it's not like we don't all do the same thing the same way. That's crazy, uh, and not and not necessary. Yeah, no, and not not necessary. It's not and not healthy. It's right. not good for society. Right. I am holding in my hands a Kindle copy of Run to Win, your incredible new book. I am so excited uh, for my listeners to get their hands on Run to Win. And I want to highlight in the foreword of your fantastic book, written by oh the one and only Madam Vice President Kamala Harris. What a delight. Uh, oh. She writes about that self-doubt 
that doesn't just come from in, within. It comes sometimes from the peanut gallery. Oh, it does. And she was talking about one of her first races. She wrote, to be sure, a lot of people, including some friends, doubted I could win. I had people tell me the odds were against me, that I didn't fit into the typical mold of a DA, and that I couldn't beat an established incumbent. I'm not the first woman to hear that from the so-called experts. And then she goes on to say, but here's the thing. I didn't listen. If I had listened to what people told me was not possible, I wouldn't be where I am today. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. And that is the truth. And you hear that. So how do you navigate? How would you recommend women listening to this navigate both internal doubt and frankly, outspoken loud doubt that's coming from other people? Sometimes the people who love us and want to protect us and see us not fail. Right. And that, and that's the hardest of all. It's when the, the folks who love you are trying to protect you. <laughs> right. And in the meantime, they're holding you back and they don't even realize it. I mean, on the personal front, like just know that it's so much of the culture that has the misogyny that, that has gotten stewed into us mm. uh, as since the beginning, you, you have to fight it. You have to fight it because you are so qualified to take on so Mm. many more jobs. And the truth about jobs, uh, and you talk about this too, is like so much of it is on the job training anyway. Yeah. Like just, you don't know how to do all these things. Like who knows how to do these jobs until you're in the jobs. So don't look at a job description and think, oh, that's everything I need to know. No, you can learn a whole bunch of, you come in with what you got and, and you find people who cover your weaknesses and, and mm-hmm. along the way you, you find people who are even better at your strengths than you and they make you look really good, <laughs> which is yeah. what I've been able to do. And I'm list. So that's the internal one, which is just fight, fight. And then for the folks who, the doubters around you, yeah. uh, even the ones who mean it in the most, you know, loving way, you just got to stand up and say, you got to trust me to try this. Mm-hmm. You just like push through uh, because it's just, and the, the loving ones, they'll usually come around. <laughs> yeah. But, but let's be honest, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, uh, who I know Friend you had the on show. your show. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say all of the doubters. Um, and that list was long. And even after she blew through a six way primary, six way. Uh, as the only uh, person of color in that primary, uh, only woman, and she won by like, I think she had like 46% of the vote mm-hmm. in a six way. That's huge. There were still people in Washington, D.C. who were like, oh, a black woman can't win that district. Yeah. I mean, you it was know, a historically Republican like, district. Yes. Yeah. And yes. what did and she, she blew them all away. <laughs> it was amazing. Totally right. Sharice Davids, the congresswoman uh, in Kansas, in the Kansas City area. She is one of the first Native American women to ever serve. Mm. Uh, joined Deb Holland in that great honor. Uh, we, Emily's List, got behind her in a primary and folks were like, oh, this district's never going to elect a mm. Native American woman. There's no, there aren't any Native Americans here. And I didn't say there's none, but there, it's not a very big population at all. Right. But you, you meet Sharice or you meet Lauren and you're like, these women are 
badasses and they are like ready to take on the world and fight through it and fight through the doubts all around them. And now they're serving in Congress and that's, you know, but they need help and you need to, you need to back them up. And that's that's what we do. And I ask, you know, all of us, all of us have a responsibility to back up these brave women as they keep moving up the leadership ladder in any industry. Right. And that is what I love about your book. It is about how to run for office if you want to run for office, but it is about so much more. It's about how women in every industry can dare to throw their hat in the ring. So if you are angling for a promotion and, you know, finding your way forward and thinking about leadership and practice, this is full of lessons on that front. In fact, what you just said reminds me of when I started my own company, Bossed Up, back in 2013. I had been in electoral politics until that point. And when I started my my women's leadership development company, I had a political colleague of mine come up to me and point blank say, and he happened to be a white dude, happened to say, what on earth makes you feel qualified to start this business? And I said, Josh. (laughs) I was like, first of all, Josh, thank you for saying to my face what I know so many people are saying behind my back. That's that's fair. (laughs) And then I said, nothing. Nothing makes me feel qualified to do this, but that's not going to stop me from trying. And I got to see how this works out. Like, I will find out if this can work. And here we are. So, who knows? And you know what? If you you fail, so be it. You're going to learn so much in the process. Like, you know, a failure, a loss uh, in in a campaign. We just think of that as a step in the process. And you have a whole chapter on how to make it a step. And I always say failure is inevitable on the road to success. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. You know, I was, as you were telling that story, I was wondering if you ever got this this version of the story, which I I got uh, from some of my... You have very good guy friends in politics as I was moving to Emily's list. So I successfully managed, you know, a couple of Senate races and been a finance director for all these really, you know, nice men. I've worked for a lot of men and and had made it in the party structure. And I literally had friends tell me, why would you leave where you are and go work for the for the girls group? for just women. Wow. Like, why would you, why would you do that to your career? I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Wow. Like we're still, and that was, I mean, that was 11 years ago, which by the way, I mean, it does feel like a bit of, it wasn't that, it wasn't like 1890. <laughs> right. As though, as though women are like a small interest group or something. Oh, <laughs> not makes the majority crazy. of the world's population. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And then as a Democrat, to have Democrats say that. Yeah. And, and I'm like, you know, the only reason Democrats win is because there's a gender women. gap where women <laughs> vote for you. Yes. So uh, we are not a special interest. We are the party. Yeah. And black and, women in particular have, have uh, carried the Democratic Party for so entirely, long. Entirely. Entirely. And so, so get I, over it, guys. <laughs> well, I want to brag about Emily's List for a moment here because recent Emily's List history is worth sharing a little bit about. I wanted to share a few sentences from your book that kind of exemplifies what has happened in the last couple of years alone. So you wrote, 
In the entirety of the 2016 cycle, from the day after the 2014 election up until Election Day 2016, 920 women reached out to us about running for office. And this is what you called the Hillary bump, and you thought, maybe it's not going to last, maybe things will go back down to normal uh, following that. And then, fast forward to the Trump presidency era, you wrote, in the first month after the election, more than 1,000 women, a.k.a. more than the entire cycle before, signed up saying they wanted to run for office. By the inauguration of Donald Trump on January 20th, that number had more than doubled to 2,442. By the end of January, more than 4,000 women had signed up. And by Election Day 2018, an almost unimaginable 42,000 had reached out to Emily's List. And that number has grown well past 50,000 as of this writing. Tell me about the important work that you all have done at Emily's List in the past few years alone. It's funny. It's like I looked this morning and it's well over 60,000 now. It's crazy. It's every day. It's, it's every crazy. day um, that women are rising up and and saying it's time for me to run. They may not know what they're running for yet. That's our job. Right. Uh, but uh, but it's a, it's it's not just a moment. It wasn't just because of one thing. It is is a series of events that include seeing the success of women winning and then governing that right. are inspiring now. And that's why this is not going away, that this yeah. is going to continue. And so for Emily's list, uh, after we got our arms around the fact that we had thousands <laughs> of women uh, coming to us after decades of, dare I say, begging some women to run for office. <laughs> yeah. Please, you can do this. Trust us. We'll be with you. Uh, all of a sudden, we we wanted to get as much information to as many women as possible. I mean, these women were from every state, uh, every background, new professional backgrounds. Uh, it was, you know, not sort of your typical uh I've got a law degree. I've been in political science and I'm going to run, um, mm. which are great. And we're glad we've got some of those. But now we've got, you know, moms and homemakers and pediatricians and teachers and nurses and CIA agents. I didn't even know CIA, former CIA agents could run for office. I mean, I, I was like learning a lot fast. You know, women who served in combat. Uh, because other women fought to ensure that they could have those opportunities in the military. They were all stepping up and we built out an entire program that actually is called Run to Win, mm -hmm. where we could do in-person trainings while in-person trainings were, were real, thing, which obviously yeah. <laughs> during, during the pandemic, yeah. that's not been the case. Right. Uh, but we even then were during virtual trainings because we knew we couldn't get everywhere. We still needed to get to those women in Alaska and we weren't going to be able to do a training in Alaska for a while. You know, right. we just, so we laid out a training center, which you can uh, get access to right now at emilyslist.org. And it literally lays out how to think about the process of making the decision, uh, the questions you need to look at about filing for office, some of mm -hmm. like the basic basics. How do you start fundraising? How do you make an ask? Uh, what does a comms communications operation look like? We've got sample documents that you can just download and use. We want to make this really, really accessible because here's the thing. 
it's not rocket science. I right. mean, rocket science seems hard to me. Going to the moon <laughs> seems hard to me. Maybe it's not. Maybe a rocket scientist would be like, don't worry about it. I think it seems like a lot. Running for office is something that should not be complicated. Right. And there are, but there are systemic challenges, particularly for women, uh, that we need to break through still Mm -hmm. and help each other do that. Uh, But it's just about putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. And you know me, I'm as a training business woman, I am a big fan of the high quality nature of the training that Emily's List produces. So I think it is so important to make it not rocket science because in the abstract, running for office seems amorphous and terrifying and overwhelming, especially to people who we want to have in office who are not narcissistic megalomaniacs. Correct. (laughs) You know? So totally right. But we're already ahead of it in so many ways. If you think about it, we, you know, we as women often are already uh, very active in the community. We tend to have closer friendships, friendships that are so helpful in times of struggle and need, or also in times of opportunity and growth. Mm. Uh, And so that's, you know, as I think about how you put together your team, you know, I always start with who's your family and who's your friends and the family you make. Yeah. Because those folks are so important as well. And then you build out the rest of it. But this is all manageable. Right. And I wanted to ask you about that because we know that women today still shoulder the majority of unpaid labor when it comes to just maintaining a household and child rearing. And I remember interviewing Deb Holland, now Interior Secretary, (sighs) Deb Holland. What Talk about a huge (sighs) change for this nation. I am, being a Montanan, I cannot tell you how excited I am to see a Native American woman rise to Secretary of Interior. It's, oh, talk about chills again. Right? I know. All in the last week, I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. But when when I interviewed Deb, I asked her about you know, having provided for her family as a single mom and making the decision to run for office on top of just the work that it takes to make ends meet in today's world. You write about this and these really important personal implications that everyone has to weigh to decide whether it's a promotion and a, and a, a big new fancy job or running for office, I think a lot of us feel uh, like who are we to have the time of day to reach for that next rung on the leadership ladder? What would you say about those very real concerns? I like how you address the quote unquote work-life balance issue in your book <laughs> by, by validating that those are important but they shouldn't hold us back. What's your what's your advice for women who feel called to service, who want to lead, but are like, I don't know how I'm going to make this work? Yeah, and I would start with, like, if you've got the passion for it, we're going to figure out how to get this done. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's really in your belly, you know, I do talk about life, you know, um, work-life balance, which is, to me, not the question anybody should be asking, right. but are you fulfilled by the life you're ha- leading mm. and what is going to further fulfill you? And that's why I want more and more women to step up into those leadership roles and 
and and even the single moms i know it's i know it's harder i know it's harder i know it's harder for women of color to step up uh, when you're already not making as much money uh, as your white counterparts i mean we have a lot of systemic challenges around all of this mm. but to make those changes we need those voices right uh, we absolutely have to do that. But I also talk about in the book that we we really as a society need to talk about what we are putting our candidates through. Yeah. Because we are demanding a lot of our elected officials, a lot. And I think I know folks have gotten so angry about the government and politics and all of this. But the the women and men, I'll give it. I'm going to give it to both on this yeah. one, who are willing to put their name on the ballot, particularly for, let's say, legislative offices that don't pay anything. I don't know if everybody knows that there are legit. There are states that hardly pay anything, but they have to leave their job for 90 days, or they have to have two jobs at the same time, and they're making policies that affect your child's education or your parents' retirement or the roads you're driving on, you know, all of that, uh, those decisions are being made by almost volunteers at times in some states and other states that's better off. But we got to get serious here. Yeah. We want people of diverse voices and backgrounds. And I'm, I hate to say this, but we have lost too many good candidates to the reality that they could not personally afford to run. And that is not right. Uh, and when uh, Luba uh, uh, stepped up, um, Luba and Gretchen Shirley, who's a former congressional candidate in New York who, who ran an successful congressional race, she was brave enough to go to the Federal Election Commission, which is what runs, sort of oversees all of the federal races, uh, to ask for permission to have childcare covered by the campaign while you're campaigning. That to me is a no brainer. I am embarrassed, frankly, that we had to go and fight for that. Mm. We are asking people to spend all of their time out learning about their district and also paying for their childcare and somebody's mm -hmm. got to cover the mortgage. I mean, I think we have to get really serious about ensuring our candidates have the financial resources they need. No one's like in this group as they're running, they're not trying to get rich. They're just trying to get to a place where they can succeed and make sure that right. they can pay the rent. Yeah. <laughs> and we've lost candidates. I know. It's just like, it's just, it is infuriating that the consequence of that reality is yes. that too many working families' voices are not heard in government, which is exactly what we need to make these processes Correct. and systems more just. And yet there is this widely accepted notion that all politicians are corrupt and that public servants are not in service to the public. And I I like that you just out like unapologetically reject that notion, at least for the folks that we're working with. Yeah. That it is not I mean, that is hey, not there there are some bad apples here, of course, but truthfully, right. uh, these folks, you know, are stepping up to give 
their lives because it never ends. If you're on the school board, <laughs> right, right. if you're on the school board, do you think you get a break? Right. No, you walk through the grocery store and people are coming up to you. You're yeah. at church and somebody's going to turn around and probably complain about a decision that the school board made. That school board actually might be the hardest job in the entire country. Yeah. But I'm just like, these folks are very giving of their time because they want to make a change. And yeah. And we got to provide them just some basic resources so they can do that. So those voices, particularly of our black and brown women uh, who who make all the difference in holding this nation together, mm. they've got to be at the table to yeah. get the right policies. If not, we're never going to get this straightened out. We're not. Right. And I think your book and Emily's List both programming and training, but also uh, cash money, early money, yeah. right, can help make a big difference there. So for anyone who is even thinking of someday maybe running for office, you must get involved and you must get your hands on this book. I have so much, honestly, Stephanie, I want to ask you about, but our time is limited. Oh so gosh. I want to make sure we get to resilience, okay? Yeah. You drop kind of a huge surprise uh, in the early parts of your book, and you talk about it sporadically throughout, of what you personally have lived through in the recent years as the executive, as the leader of Emily's List, uh, navigating your own major unforeseeable health challenges. Talk to me about what has happened and what kind of an impact that's made on you when it comes to asking for help. Yeah, I... I um... And st I sometimes still say this. I can't believe it happened. Uh, but in the book, you'll you'll find out that and I that I had a stroke while writing the book. Actually, I uh, in September of of uh, 2019, and I was actually really up in the air if I was going to write about it. I wasn't I wasn't sure if I was going to share the story. I was still trying to get my head around what had happened, uh, and you know, like so many of us. I was invincible. I was, I was working crazy hours. I was traveling the country. I was on an airplane two or three times a week. I, I was, uh, you know, doing what you do when you run a national organization. And in one moment it all stopped. And, and I was told like, I had to take a break. And, uh, thankfully I was, um, honestly fairly, fairly lucky, but needed to have a little bit of therapy and, and to get through all of this. And, and all of a sudden it was so clear to me how the work that I had been doing to build my network, my community, uh, meant everything that I had so many people to turn to, to get both Emily's list and me through it, uh, who were willing to, to step up and take on some of my or all of my responsibility up at times uh, for the time that I was out of out of commission, and then uh, my journey back to to wellness. It's uh, you can't do these things alone. These these jobs, I don't care where, where you are, uh, but you can't do them alone. You got to have folks around you to keep your feet on the ground, to keep you looking forward, uh, to not allow the dark days to take you down. Uh, I could have been 
just completely devastated by um, by that health situation. And, you know, I never thought, like so many of us, well, I'm never going to get sick. I'm going to be mm-hmm. completely fine. All of a sudden now I've got a clotting disorder. I'm going to be on blood thinners the rest of my life, but I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. I'm here mm-hmm. and I am able to keep on taking on the world, but it really did take a whole community around me, including staff, friends, family, uh, to keep me going. And I'm just so immensely grateful for, for people like Emily Kane, who is our executive director, who on a phone call, when it was happening, I literally said, something's terribly wrong. I think I'm having a stroke. Will you meet me at the hospital? And she just dropped everything and came. I mean, that, that's, that is not just a colleague, that is a friend. And I had a lot of those um, stepping up, ready to be there. And it worked and we got through it. And Emily's list is unbelievably strong. I feel great. Uh, and we're moving forward. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. I think it's also worth calling out that you are, if I am, if I have my data correct here, un, not married, right? So you're, it's not like leaning on a partner for these things. You've built that community of support, friends and family and otherwise in an intentional way outside of the institution of marriage. Is that right? That is, that is true. That is true. I think single yeah. ladies should get a shout out in that way. You know it what is, I mean? You do. You, you, you kind of, you build the family you've got you know, uh, sometimes. And, and now I will say my dad jumped on an airplane Mm -hmm. immediately and I was very, very lucky, uh, and, and came and then left when we didn't know what was going on and then flew back. (laughs) Uh, I mean, Mike, it was just a crazy time. Uh, and then, but, but for him and for the family to know that there was this community around me, you know, gave him peace of mind too. Yeah. so that was, yeah, I'm very, so very huge. blessed. So huge. Blessed. And yeah. major shout out to our friend of the show, Emily Kane, who was also on the Bust Up podcast. I'll link yes. to her episode in show notes. Oh, please do. That's <laughs> fabulous. She's, she is she's really, truly a phenom. She's, um, she's awesome. Adore her. Last thing I want to ask you about, you sort of alluded to this in that story, which is some outdated leadership advice that women are often on the receiving end of. Things like you've got to be tough, you've got to be strong no matter what. You can never show weakness, you can never show vulnerability. I'm glad that Brene Brown has popularized the antithesis of that and and embraced vulnerability as part of leadership. But you write about a story when you were, I think having recently taken the helm at Emily's List, said in a public forum in response to a question, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back to you. Uh, and a friend of yours, a quote, well-meaning friend told me that I could never do that again. She said, I was, I would always need to know the answer because I would have to show strength and uncertainty is a sign of weakness. And that was something you could never allow. I think a lot of well-intentioned friends and mentors are constantly giving women advice in this vein. And your book says, the world now more than ever is craving authentic leaders. What is your advice uh, to yourself in that moment, looking back, and how would you counsel others to navigate finding their own form of strong leadership, whatever that means? Well, I just, being honest and truthful is critical. And I think uh, being 
being your best self means being honest. And, and in that moment, even when, when I got the quote unquote friend, friendly advice, I, I knew I wasn't going to take it because I'm not going to spin uh, a donor, an investor. I, I'm not going to try to come up with an answer when I don't know the answer. Uh, I will find it and I will follow up. You got to do that. You got to do the follow through. But the the being out there and being transparent about what's going on is is something that is so, so important. You know, that was part of the debate, which didn't last very long, I will say, about my health situation. It was like, I, we got to tell people. Mm. Yeah. You know, and and I, 20 years ago, pe- people wouldn't have said anything. You know, they would have hid that. I'm like, it will it will build trust. It will show that I am human. It will make me more relatable. Uh, and everybody's got something going on. And if and in in your personal story, and this is why you know we talk about this too. In your per, in your authentic personal story of of your happy moments and your not so happy moments, they are so relatable to so many other people. There's always something that's connecting us, but it's through the story. It's through the story to do it. And if it's not, if we don't remember that, we can't just go talk healthcare policy and not talk about what families and individuals are going through with their healthcare. Like you've got to get to the core of who we are. We have been telling stories in humanity since the beginning of time. That's how we build, that's how we built our tribes. That's how we built our societies. And I think we have to get back to the stories because Mm -hmm. they tie us together and they get us over the, over the divide. Yeah. How else do we get over the divide if we don't share our stories? Because there are, I know it feels like a big difference, but there are shared values and shared experiences (laughs) with everybody yeah. In the world. Yeah. You just have to find those. And the only way to find them is to be transparent about who you are. Mm. And that takes a lot of courage. And yeah. and it's not an easy thing to do. And it's not a just world that's listening to our stories either. No, but, it's, it's not. And, and you can get some backlash. Yeah. That is true. But you know what? A little backlash... <laughs> Yeah. You can handle it. Yeah. You can handle it. Don't it's read gonna the comments. Be okay. As you say, don't, don't read the comments. Right. Yeah. Do not read the comments. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason I to love read it. the comments. You know, I, I studied uh, public narrative with Marshall Gans at the Kennedy School of Government. Oh, I did a fabulous. fellowship on organizing back in the day. Yep. And uh, I do a lot of training here at Bostop about storytelling as a practice of leadership. And I think politics is so full of great examples. I'm constantly drawing from candidates' uh, speeches and stories as to how you connect, how you build trust, how you show your integrity and demonstrate your values as a way to inspire and lead others. So I'm so glad you devote a whole chapter to that. It's so important. And and I I would say there are many who do it very, very well. (laughs) Stacey Abrams. Yes in Georgia is one of the best. It's true. Is one of the best in how she uses her entire story and puts her entire self Mm. into everything she does, the good and the bad. Yeah. And she's honest about it. And a lot of folks would tell her, don't do all that. And she knows 
she knows what she's doing. And uh, I just, if you ever just need an uplifting speech, just, well, it doesn't even, you don't even need a particular one. <laughs> yeah. Just pull her up. It's just true. Just pull her up. It's true. I love it. And I love, okay, last thing I'll say, because I know I, uh, I'm being indulgent here, but I love how you use Stacey Abrams as an example of, you know, losing, frankly, an election mm -hmm. and choosing when to run and what to run for based on where you can have the most impact, right? She was being heavily recruited after her loss to run again in a variety of different domains. And she said, you know what? No, I'm going to focus on this new organization that she's led to uh, work on voter suppression and prevent uh, disenfranchisement. And look what's happened in Georgia as a result. Right. It's like, you know, you know best when the answer is yes for a promotion, for a run, for a position. Yes. And sometimes the answer is not now. I love how you put that in the book. It's not no, but it's just not now. That's correct. Yeah. And that's the case for all of us. Like, don't, you know, don't say no. Just you can say not now. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Time will come. Well, Stephanie, uh, until we can next speak again, where cool. can the Bossed Up listeners learn more about Emily's List and your fantastic book, Run to Win? Um, we'll always check out Emily's List, uh, our website's emilyslist.org, and we have just such amazing content and stories, and that training center is up there. Uh, it's really, uh, really good resources if you're thinking about running. Uh, the book, uh, I always want to say, if you can get, go to your independent bookstores, yeah. we got to, we got to help our independents out. Uh, they, that book, uh, Run to Win is at those independent bookstores, uh, and if you must, you can always go to Amazon too, but uh, <laughs> want to support, support our local stores because they need the help right now. Love it. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's been my honor. To get all of today's show notes and to learn more about this episode, head to bossedup.org slash episode 308. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Today's Boss Move comes in from a current member of my Level Up Leadership Accelerator, our six-month dynamic interactive training program for women leaders on the rise. And this one comes in via an email I got from Sarah. Now, in line with today's interview on the podcast, Sarah talks about both a win and a loss in this email. Uh, the first part is the fact that she did not get the big leadership opportunity that she was interviewing for at a different organization. She and I worked together uh, with a little extra coaching around uh, interview prep and the job application process to throw her hat in the ring for a really big statewide uh, leadership organization or leadership position which sadly, though she did very well and she practiced and she gave it her all, she was told that her vision for the organization didn't come across very clearly. And I wrote back to her saying, this is a critique that so many of us women leaders on the rise get because we're so busy trying to prove ourselves ready. We look backwards and say, look at all the things I've done instead of looking forwards and saying, well, here's what I think we should do <laughs> and shooting from the hip a little bit and unabashedly sharing our vision for the future. It's just not uh, one of the leadership characteristics that women tend to do very well because the world doesn't ask us to do it often enough. That's why my whole Level Up program starts with a workshop on and a whole month devoted to cultivating and communicating your vision. Here's the second part of Sarah's email, though. She wrote, quote, 
In terms of good news, I was offered a promotion, which includes a title change and a raise. I'm going from state field coordinator to state senior coordinator. I checked in with my boss on Tuesday, and we were discussing my performance over the past few months and what I've learned and implemented from programs like Level Up. She's been impressed with my commitment and told me she was offering me a promotion. This is a new position for the organization, and I'm excited to have new responsibilities that more closely match my interests and expertise. Congratulations, Sarah. Major boss move and way to demonstrate how, frankly, a loss is part of the road to success. And while this is not necessarily the end-all, be-all destination that you're hoping for, you absolutely leveled up. So congratulations. So proud of you. And I hope that Sarah's story inspires the rest of us, even if you have one foot out the door, to advocate for your next step, whatever that looks like, to throw your hat in the ring, to advocate for your step up, for your promotion, and to push yourself to get in the ring, so to speak, and dare to go for that leadership opportunity if that is what is calling your name. Uh, I want to hear from you. If you've got a career conundrum that you want me to tackle on the podcast next, or if you've got a boss move to share, give me a call at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. That's the Bossed Up Podcast hotline. You can call and you will always get our voicemail where you can leave us an anonymous message about a career conundrum you're going through and want some advice on or your boss move of the week so we can celebrate and cheer you on. In the meantime, let's run to win, y'all. Pick up a copy of Run to Win if you are interested in learning more. I have loved every minute of reading Stephanie Shriak's book, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, And in the meantime, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb.